most stressful thing probably is the level of uncertainty in, in the business while it it's not sustainable it's face the uncertainty uh, the elevator pitch putting everything into 30 words or less is very stressful to actually come up and to actually execute it to me is marketing and just practicing my pitch with the local markets you know sticking to the plan and just trying to do your best to execute your ideas for We Teach Me, this is the Master Series, where industry professionals share their secrets to business success. I'm Sarpil Shenelmish from Written and Recorded, and I'm stressed. Working in a startup, it's easy to forego lunch breaks. You start early, finish late, work right through the weekend and then it starts all over again. And if you're responsible for investors' money and employees' pay packs, there's constant pressure to perform and grow. Let's face it, startups are hard work and a little bit stressful. Deborah Longen is the founder of MAW Creative that stands for Mindfulness, Art and Wellbeing. This is going to turn into a cautionary tale, however, about that high intensity because as you move on in your career in corporate, I guess I started uh, working in larger and larger companies. I became more and more involved in corporate clients. And what started off as a very genuine interest in design and creativity sort of really became actually a lot about stress. I was stressed, my clients were stressed. High intensity became high pressure and it was you know, quite a challenge. We'll hear from Deborah shortly, but first, Omar De Silva. Omar has made several attempts at business with a couple of successes. Now his focus is on education in the entrepreneurial ecosystem, and he runs a business school called The Plato Project. After pulling himself up from the brink of bankruptcy, Omar discovered there's more to life than just chasing dollars. Omar, who's named after the famous actor Omar Sharif, says it's a critical skill to recognise stress and you need to be self-aware about both micro-moments and continual trends. Thanks, mate. Uh, so that's me there in the middle in fine form on the day that I realised I was in financial ruin. That was the first point for me where I realised that chasing dollars was not the answer uh, to anything, really. I had made too much money early in my life. I did not know how to handle that money, deal with that money, and I was doing stupid things, not paying attention to the bigger picture and got myself into some really substantial trouble and found myself very, very close to declaring bankruptcy. And in fact, I'd been recommended that that's what I do and that's what I was gearing myself up to do. But before that, we had a, a trip to Sri Lanka planned with my family. And one of the things about going bankrupt is that travel becomes quite difficult. So I didn't do anything before the trip. And we went on the trip. Long story short, uh, my dad, who grew up there, had told me all these stories about how difficult it was growing up in Sri Lanka in, in that type of environment and how lucky I was in Australia to have everything that I did have. And I just thought that they were the standard father's stories you got given as a child. But I went there and I saw it all to be true. And it was a, it was a really big, important shift in my mindset. And so that made me come back to Australia and choose not to go bankrupt and not to quit. 
So I got back to work and I started chasing the dollar again to pay off my debts and to get out the other side and accelerate through a number of years. The second time I realized that chasing dollars wasn't the answer was when there was a, a situation in my family where one of my family members had a psychotic episode and a bit of a breakdown, which was the sort of catalyst, if you like, for me learning that the men in my family had a nasty predisposition to mental health challenges and that I had depression and anxiety and really opened up my eyes to the fact that, again, there was more to life than simply working and chasing dollars. So what I really wanted to focus on is some of the practical things that I do still to this day, every day as best I can to try and stay on top of the stress that is inevitable with startups and business and life more generally. And hopefully there's some practical things that you can take away with you. When it comes to dealing with stress, your health, your well-being, we often hear about your physical and your mental health and well-being. But one thing that gets left out of that conversation a lot in my perspective is your professional well-being. And what I mean by that, when I realized that I was dealing with some mental health challenges and I started to reflect on the six months leading up to that point, when I thought that I was struggling with the business and work side of things, the answer for me was work harder. So then when I got to the point of realizing that I was actually not in a very good spot and I was quite unhealthy, a lot of people said, you've got to stop working. The interesting thing for me in that situation, somebody that was doing something he was passionate about and believed in, is the idea of not working was actually more stressful than the idea of working. I suppose the first thing that I want to share and just challenge you to think about is when you're trying to get that health and well-being balance right, don't eliminate any element. It's about getting the right mixture of elements across those three physical, mental and professional factors that become really important. The way that we talk about this in the courses that we run as part of our business is this idea of personal leadership. And personal leadership to us is this idea that the only way that you can expect to get the most out of other people around you from a leadership perspective is by first getting the most out of yourself on a daily basis. And that's what we mean by personal leadership. So I just wanna share with you some of the practical things that we talk about and the practical things that I do to again, deal with that stress and try and hit peak performance on a sustained daily basis. First of all, is the idea of your current state awareness. It's really, really important as frequently as you possibly can to check in with how you are doing in any given moment. And that's not only from a getting shit done perspective in your startup or in your job or in your life or in your relationship. Getting shit done in your relationship is probably not the right uh, pairing of phrases, but I think you know what I mean. Understanding how you're doing in the short term is the easiest and most important step to your self-awareness. It can articulate itself in a few different ways though. Your mindset, what's the mindset that you've taken into a particular situation? What's the body language that you're giving off and how is that affecting your mindset? And then ultimately, what is your behavior like? Unfortunately though, when people start to focus on that, they lose track of this idea of the prolonged state awareness. And this is something that I realized that I was falling into the trap of when I ended up with the depression and anxiety, where you keep checking in on a micro moment, oh, I'm a bit stressed at the moment, but I'll be okay in the afternoon. And the afternoon comes, oh, I'm okay. 
Next day, oh, I'm stressed now, I'm stressed now, I'm stressed now. Oh, the afternoon will be okay. Afternoon, I'm okay. It happens day after day after day after day after day. And unless we give ourselves that chance to check in on how we've been going over the prolonged period of time, it can be really difficult to notice the trends. So when you go into this piece of self-awareness, it needs to be both short-term and long-term that you're constantly checking in on. When you build up your self-awareness and you start to join a few of the other dots, if you can start to put the opportunity lens onto all of the things that you have in front of you, it becomes instantly a positive frame in your mind. By framing things up with the opportunity and the positive lens, it gives you a better chance at being good at staying self-aware and ensuring that you're making the most out of each situation. So that's the first bit around self-awareness. Authenticity. This is another thing that gets thrown around a lot, but to me has probably been the single most important thing I've recognized in unlocking my professional success. What is your definition of success? Yeah, and I know this verges on Tony Robbins, soft and fluffy stuff. I don't want to be that. Don't like Tony Robbins. What I'm getting at, it's so easy particularly in the world of social media, particularly in the world of influencers, particularly in the world of fast, free information, that we see other people and we try to use their definition of success for our own definition of success. The moment you give yourself that chance to figure out what success means to you and you give yourself the opportunity to chase that pursuit of success is the moment that you have the chance to get your peak performance on a regular basis. So the way that I've looked at this over a little while is number one asking the question, is it worth it? It's a really simple question, a really profound question, a really powerful question, and an important question to ask yourself. Is it worth it? Whatever it is, just check in. Is this actually worth it? And closely followed to that is, is this me? We've all found ourselves in situations where we're committing to doing something that if we actually had the chance to really reflect and check in, we'd be like, you know what, I don't actually care about this. This isn't me, this isn't worth it to me. And one of the things that made me realize that was when my son was born and I was trying to do all things at once and me as somebody that would like to think I'm fairly self-aware and fairly in tune with these types of things, I'd get home after a day of work, I'd pick my son up, I'd have him in one arm and then I'd pull my phone out to you know, catch up on emails. And I got my son looking at me and I'm looking at my phone Luckily enough, I've got a wife that's not afraid to tell me what I need to hear. And it became very clear to me very quickly that, hey, it just wasn't worth it. Sounds simple. It's a lot easier said than done, though. Building the discipline, the habit, the chance to constantly check in with yourself on these simple questions become really important. When it comes to a successful startup, in my opinion, when it comes to a successful life, we must be proactive. We must make decisions which give us the best chance to see the future we would like to eventuate. You need to give yourself the chance to buy in and believe in the fact that you absolutely have control over your next step. Don't control the hand that you dealt, but you can control the way you play the cards. And it's a really, really important thing that you need to do whatever you possibly can to believe in and buy into. Because until you do that, then you're not gonna be able to build the business you would like to or live the life that you would like to, in my opinion. So the way that I go about doing that is reflection. 
and I don't do it hourly anymore, but I absolutely do it daily, monthly, quarterly, and annually. And I check in on things on a daily basis. I check in on things that I was grateful for. I check in on things that I did really well that day. I check in on things that I want to improve the next day. And that's what I do every morning, because if I don't, my brain goes bananas and I end up in a not a very healthy place. So that becomes really important to me. And by doing that, by getting a really good understanding of where I am, it gives me the frame of mind that I need to make proactive, positive steps to go where I want to go. And that's really important when it comes to your health and well-being and your business success. You need to have a proactive mindset. You can't fall into the trap of thinking, I'll wait for it to happen. Your health, your well-being, your business success is only ever the result of what you do first. Things don't come to you, unfortunately. Of course, there are exceptions to every rule and sometimes things fall in your lap, but you've got to be taking the first step. You've got to be the one that's initiating things to happen when it comes to building a successful business and looking after yourself. Lastly, there's this idea of the productive struggle. And this is the idea that as soon as you stop moving forwards, then by virtue of everybody else moving forward, you're relatively moving backwards. That's the idea of for every goal you achieve, set yourself a new one. That doesn't mean you don't stop and appreciate what you have done or celebrate your successes, but it's about always moving forward and using that momentum in a positive way. Be ambitious on things that are meaningful and important to you and that are also pragmatic and realistic. I'm not saying don't have big dreams, but make it meaningful first. It's not about unrealistic ambition. Second thing is that idea of continuous learning. Our business is called Plato Project. We've got a really strong focus on philosophy and self-reflection, and there's some convoluted quote, which if I had to go at, I'll butcher it, but it's basically the one that, as soon as you think you know everybody, everything, you're actually an idiot. You're not very clever, right? We've got the known knowns, the known unknowns, and the unknown unknowns. You've all heard that before? We've all got unknown unknowns, and the moment you forget that you don't know what you don't know, is the moment that you stop having the chance to move forward. It's just the moment you stop having the chance to look after yourself. It's the moment you stop having the chance to build a bigger and better business. Embrace continuous learning. Triggers. We've all got these things called stresses. Stresses are things that build up over time under the surface. Not liking our job, having financial worries, having relationship worries, having health issues, etc. Those are the stresses. And then we've got our triggers. And the triggers are the little things that happen which bring about bad behavior, so to speak. Road rage, running late for a meeting, getting a last minute request, burning your mouth on a toasted sandwich and knowing that your whole week's ruined. Same with bad coffee, whatever, right? We've all got these triggers. As somebody that's been, I think I'm through the worst of my anxiety, I think, and I think it's as a result of doing things like that. And the way that my anxiety would kick off is I'd be running late for a meeting and then from there, my brain would go, shit, you're running late for a meeting, you're gonna lose this client, you're gonna lose your business, you're gonna lose a dog, you're gonna lose your house, you're gonna die, right? That'll happen in like five seconds. So for me, recognizing what those triggers were was the first most important thing I could do to being proactive in dealing with my anxiety. Once I listed all of those triggers off, for me, is coming up with the circuit breakers. So when I get an email which I read and I take personal offence to because I'm a bit of a hypersensitive sook, like I cried so much at my wedding, the video went viral and people are like, it looks like he's at a funeral, like that's how much of a sook I am, right? When I take emails a bit too personally, 
the circuit breaker for me is I just need to go close my emails, go back to my ikigai, go back to my vision and reset and realize I hit. it's not that. When I have a really bad day, if I've got a, a panic attack, something like that, I've got to go to the gym. And then there's sort of everything in between. So recap, figure out what your triggers are, figure out some circuit breakers that you can put in place the moment your triggers get there so you can stay self-aware, you can stay authentic, you can stay proactive, and you can embrace that productive struggle which is in front of you at the moment. I think that's it from me. Thanks, guys. So framing things with a positive lens, being authentic and being proactive in the habits and rituals that work for you are just some of the ways to manage stress in a startup. Thanks Omar, I'm going to try that. In just a moment on Masters Series, we're going to dial up the mindfulness and well-being with Deborah Longen. As Omar De Silva says, one of the keys to reducing stress in business is lifelong learning. We Teach Me is Australia's biggest school, connecting you with classes that will fill the gaps in your knowledge. With classes in your area, We Teach Me is also a great way to learn more about mindfulness and well-being. Invest in yourself at weteachme.com. The Masters Series podcast is a stress-free production of Written and Recorded. As journalist for hire, written and recorded specialise in identifying the angle in your story that will connect with your audience. Then they craft it into an engaging podcast for internal and external communications. Hear more at writtenandrecorded.com. And now, it's back to you, Sedvia. Hey, thanks for that ad guy. Now it's time to get mindful. Deborah Longen founded MAW Creative to incorporate mindfulness and well-being into the spaces we occupy every day. The former corporate interior designer had a wake-up call that things needed to change in her work life on the tragic day that six people were killed in front of her office. Hello everyone. I felt that um, I should give back and I guess this is my story. So. It is, I guess, a story of my journey, I guess, as a kind of a, a reforming corporate person into small business. So I think hopefully it will relate and um, I'll explain some of the stresses that have, I've certainly experienced and I guess also some of the stresses that have really actually helped propel me through my career. I'm going to start at the beginning. I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. So my background, I grew up in uh, Adelaide, in the Adelaide Hills. I was the youngest in my family and in my extended family, I was also the youngest. So interestingly, despite how I've ended up, I was considered the small one, the uh, quiet one. Um, it was a very noisy European family. So I actually found it very difficult to get a word in. So I found other ways, I guess. So my talent and my interest, and I guess my passion, was creativity, making things, and problem solving. So that's how I would sort of find my way and my voice and my expression. So ultimately, I found myself drawn toward interior architecture. Sort of made sense. It was something that I really enjoyed. It was something that I was good at. I got my first job in a home office uh, with a woman called Mary Harbin, who was an amazing inspiration 
and it was a very high energy environment. Like it was creative, it was making, it was, you know, everything I wanted in a job. I loved it, to be honest. It certainly propelled me in the industry and, and gave me a lot. This is going to turn into a cautionary tale, however, about that high intensity. Because as you move on in your career in corporate, I guess I started uh, working in larger and larger companies. I became more and more involved in corporate clients. And what started off as a very genuine interest in design and creativity sort of really became actually a lot about stress. I was stressed, my clients were stressed, high intensity became high pressure and it was, you know, quite a challenge. Everyone has a wake up call and I guess mine was kind of late in life, but I guess never too late. So I was kind of plodding along, stressed, working stressed with people, etc. And I hope I don't offend anybody, but um, my wake-up call was um, the 20th of January um, when um, obviously someone drove up Burke Street and killed six people. Um, and that happened outside of my office. Um, and what happened to me then was um, I thought for the first time, you know, I could have been anything. You know, my family raised me, you could be anything that you want to be. You know, it's a great ambition, but I got to the point where I had this moment in time and I thought, you know, I could be anything I want to be. In actual fact, I'm in a job I'm not very happy with. I'm not excited. I've had all these choices and so really I had a responsibility to do more. Unfortunately, I had got myself into such a position that I was so tired and drained and so corporate that I couldn't find a way out. So I really had no choice but to quit my job. So my first message <laughs> is there's a lot of opportunities for you to sort of have that wait on moment and think, hang on, how did I get here? How do I feel? Is this really what I signed up for? And I missed a lot of those messages that my body was telling me, but I would suggest that maybe you could take the opportunity today to have a bit of a think. So I went from quitting my job with no plan some savings and really no intention to it whatsoever, just needing that break, which was great. And it gave me an opportunity to do some things, but it was also very, very stressful for me initially. And I don't know if others maybe have been in that same situation where you've had a job and you sort of really associate yourself with that profession and that organization and to sort of not be Deborah from such and such and such and such actually really freaked me out and that was so initially I felt good when I quit and it was quite euphoric but then I had this quite serious panic attack about what am I so I thought okay I've come this far I've upset myself so I'll just keep going down this path so I did what everybody does and turned to Google of course and you just start looking stuff up and thinking you know what am I going to be now what am I going to do and I started going to talks, I started coming to exhibitions, I sort of went to anything and everything, and somehow I actually found myself at one of these. I came along and I heard Sheree Rubenstein, amazing talk. And she talked about her aha moment and how she decided she wanted to start up her own business. She was in a meeting um, and she was a lawyer and someone was sort of disrespectful and asked her to take notes, just assumed that she was the you know, secretary, and I thought to myself, I've had 
so much worse said to me over <laughs> my career and so many more times. What have I been doing? This is crazy. Here's this young woman who, you know, is just like, no, that's not good enough and, you know, started her own business. And I thought, well, there is something else that I had never really considered. You know, I always associated startups with the Mark Zuckerbergs, the sort of really techie type of things. And here was, you know, maybe an opportunity to make a job. You know, I don't have to look for a job, I just have to make a job and I just have to think of one. And that was the first time I really realised that that would be something that I could do. So my second advice would be mix it up. I would go along to lectures and people would sort of say, oh, you know, why are you here? And I'd be like, well, I don't know, you know. <laughs> but it paid off and it started getting my brain working in the right direction. From here I thought, okay, I can have my own career, I can make my own job, which is great. But because I had been in corporate for so long, I actually wasn't really sure what my passion was anymore. I had lost touch with all of the things that were important to me. So I found that by spending more time with entrepreneurs who talk a lot about their purpose and their passion and all of those aspects, that there was a lot to be gained from talking to other people, hearing their purpose, and it helped me sort of articulate some of my purpose. And so I started doing mindfulness classes, I started doing meditation, I started doing crazy drawing art classes, you name it, I had time for it, so I started doing it, and I had fun, and I could feel my creativity coming back to me. I was talking to entrepreneurs, I was making new connections with people, and I found that my way of thinking actually was quite helpful to people because I was a design thinker, I wasn't a designer, my brain was able to contribute in different ways. And so I started to form these ideas about where my business could go. So my recommendation would be, when it comes to you, go the feed me menu. Take the degustation, do the whole lot, you know. Don't skimp on yourself. You're complicated. You're not just a single person. You're not just interested in one thing. You need to feed all the aspects of yourself. Otherwise, they'll slowly die off and they won't work anymore. So the more you do, the more you'll get out of it. So I started seeing some comparisons in the startup group that were very similar to what I saw in corporate, which is high energy verging on high pressure, verging on unhealthy habits. And I started to see that there were people who understood well-being. Yeah, that's great. You know, we need to, you know, take time off and we need to do all these things or whatever. But how are we supposed to do this? We don't have time. We don't have opportunity. We've got these goals that we're trying to you know, hit. And I guess because of my experience doing design work as an interior designer, I'm used to looking at how people work and creating design solutions for how people work for environments. And I started to realize that actually this same skill was really helpful in the startup community because they don't need an environment. What they need is a work day they need all these opportunities to bring mindfulness in, um, but they don't have time to organise them. So that began, I guess, my new career path in that mindfulness, art and wellbeing with my creative thinking sort of come together, and that's my business. So I had been doing some really interesting things with art making and painting, and I thought, you know what, I get a lot out of it, I get a lot of relaxation, it's really enjoyable for me. And I would share that with people and they would say, well, yeah, that's great, but I don't have time or, 
you know, I don't want to commit or I don't have the materials. So I thought, you know, what would be really interesting is if you could do like instead of 45 minute yoga, you could do 45 minutes worth of art making, you know, not making art pieces, but just self-expression and um, fun. So I set up a, what I called a make break, which was terrific, an opportunity for me to just let go of my concerns and just do something. One person booked <laughs> that first class, which was enough to keep me going, which is great. And from there, it's sort of built up and now it's a few months on and I'm doing some really exciting things and I guess that's where my business is. So my last little motto would be, bring some mindfulness into the way you appreciate your career. I'm not prepared to spend another 10 or 20 years waiting for something interesting to happen or to get a reward. It's something now that I assess every day. So, that's it. I really like the way Deborah suggests the feed me menu when it comes to nurturing all aspects of ourselves. Thanks, Deborah. I'm so going to go with the whole degustation menu option. Next time on the Masters series, how to build a community around your business. It costs more to acquire new customers than it does to maintain existing customers. So when you've got them, do whatever you can to keep them. We'll explore the best way to convert customers to community in ways that work for you and them. Until then, I'm Seth Nishenanlish from Written and Recorded, and for We Teach Me, this is the Master Series.